The Loose Cannons podcast is a free-form discussion about film that contains mature language, such as poop and titty, and descriptions of mature situations, such as filing taxes and raising children. We do not have any concern for spoilers, so if you haven't seen the film or films we are discussing and don't want to have the twists ruined for you, please watch the film before listening to the podcast. You think so, Bobby? You think they're, uh, they're evil sluts? Who? The young girls. Shit, Yes! They're all into dark things, every one of them. They worship death and sex. What do you think? Oh, no, you don't. No, not... Not Bobby LaGrange. Them! Those devil-worshipping whores on the other side of the world! Hey everyone, it's another Loose Cannons podcast coming at you. Sorry to do this to you again. We should maybe stop telling you what movie is coming up because we've switched <laughs> again. We had trouble finding Ava DuVernay's I Will Follow uh, to watch, so today we're going to be discussing 2011 Twixt, directed by Francis Ford Coppola, which was another movie from my list um and joining me today is basil and patrick as well as mitchell subbing in for Ilya. i'm back yeah <laughs> hi mitchell hello so excited to talk about twixt today i'm excited to talk about twixt every day <laughs> fair <laughs> enough about twixt the candy bar <laughs> I'm excited to talk uh, about how much I don't like them. Gross. <laughs> wow. No. Divided podcast. <laughs> I like caramel and cookie and chocolate. Yeah. All right, so we know what uh, Patrick's Harold and Basil's announcement are. <laughs> We're going to announce caramel. So, I don't like it. Jesus. So I guess we're skipping straight to Mitchell. No. Um, Harold's and denouncements, everybody. You know the drill by now. Do 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 do. Um. <laughs> Thanks for joining in, Mitchell. <laughs> Not a problem. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I haven't watched uh, anything else since the last podcast. So, or anything else that I can talk about yet. I've been watching stuff for upcoming <laughs> lists. So, Ooh. wink, wink, <laughs> listeners. Since you can't see mm. me winking. All right. That so, settles that. Yeah, Basil. Um, I watched a movie that uh, was previously heralded on our mm-hmm. mid-year podcast. I watched Get Me Roger Stone. Oh. And herald it as well. It's fun. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> Someone get in. Yeah. Get that the guy. When you said that, I thought you were going <laughs> to denounce something, and I knew that the two things you had watched from that podcast, one of them you gave three and a half, and one of them you gave two and a half, and I'm like, two and a half isn't a denouncement. From yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> get that movie out of here. <laughs> no, that's fine. No, it is. <laughs> I liked it. All right, except for the, yeah. Ruben and I have already yes. talked about this movie off podcast. But. Tell us about Roger Stone. Yeah. Um, I mean, structurally, it's a pretty standard 
documentary, you know, Talking Heads, uh, archival footage, starts at one place and then kind of progresses chronologically to the present, but uh, yeah, I mean, Rod it's a very strange movie because uh, it's a movie about how terrible a person is where that person is the primary interview subject and most of the incriminating stuff just comes from his own mouth. Like, he, <laughs> <laughs> he's very brazen about how, uh, how unapologetically awful he is and how much he doesn't care that uh, people hate him. And uh, he's a really, he's a really odd character. He's got a Richard Nixon tattoo on his back. <laughs> Wow. In a very bad location. Yeah. I don't like it. It's aesthetically bad. Yeah, it's like, like right in the center of his back, like in between his shoulder blades. <laughs> yeah. It's weird position for a Nixon tattoo. Uh-huh. And he has a Nixon bong. That's true. Multiple Nixon bongs. He has the largest collection of Nixon paraphernalia on the planet, according to him. <laughs> Pretty cool. <laughs> And, uh, I think any I mean, location on a body is a bad location for a Nixon tattoo, honestly. Yeah. And he's a strange fella, because, I mean, he's a great dresser. He's got a very eccentric style. I, multiple times I was like, man, if I wore suits, I wish I could wear suits like his. They look great. Very well tailored. And he's also, like, a bodybuilder, so he's, like, super yeah. buff. He's, like, this buff old man who wears very uh <laughs> dapper suits and uh hates liberals and progressive left people but let these liberal documentarians film him yeah he's just like uh they're terrible people they're leftists but you know they're all right they're following me around <laughs> <laughs> they'll, they'll make me famous very straight but, and uh, some like lengthy interviews with our president as well. That's true. God, Trump I don't know how they locked all that down. Yeah, keeps talking about what a tough guy Roger Stone is. Yeah. He's a tough guy. <laughs> <laughs> Winning endorsement. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so I mean, it's pretty interesting. You know, like there were some things I didn't know, uh, like that. Basically, uh, anyone who hates super PACs and their ability to raise obscene amounts of money for conservative candidates. You can thank Roger Stone for that, because he basically came up with the idea. Jesus Christ. He's got a lot of ideas. (laughs) Yeah, it started in the 80s, because they tried to do some uh, campaign finance reform and limit how much uh, could be donated directly to a candidate. And so then he was like, well, what if we raise a bunch of money on behalf of you, it's not for you, and you're not actually affiliated for with it, but we just like you a lot, and then we'll buy a bunch of commercials. So that's why you get commercials where it's like, my name's George W. Bush, and I endorse this message. It's because, you know, they can't actually say, I made this commercial, because they didn't. A super PAC made it for them, but they approve of what yeah. they're talking about. Yeah. Pretty fun. Sneaky people. <laughs> Jesus Christ, that bums me out so hard. Yeah, 
Yeah, you should watch the documentary. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I could take it. I don't know if I could take something that's happy about that kind of subject. Well, he's happy about it. The uh, the yeah. filmmakers are clearly not on his side. And also, yeah. I mean, this is uh, maybe old news to a lot of people, but as someone who's only intermittently seen Donald Trump speak a lot, like... I was like, oh, this is why everyone depicts him as a baby. His mouth makes a really weird baby shape when he talks. It's like this, like, like this weird circle where he's like, I'm a baby. <laughs> yeah. He also has no object permanence, and he just, like, changes his mind about who's his friend based on who's in the room, basically. Yeah. <laughs> so that's another reason. Can I'll identify with that. Yep. <laughs> Object permanence is overrated. Who needs it? <laughs> Taking some bold stances on this podcast. <laughs> My cat's pretty amazing, and you know she's got no object. Do y'all permanence. remember that I'm on the podcast still? <laughs> Where'd you go? Ah! <laughs> He's back. Oh man, there was a there was a YouTube show that was hosted by a cat that I was watching earlier. It's just like somebody it's somebody speaking as the cat's voice, but the cat's oh. just like sitting there and he's like interviewing somebody. And it's kind of Space Ghost Coast to Coast style where they they film them answering different questions and then they just have the the cat ask random questions and then just cut back to their answers, which don't really line up. Nice. It's really funny. <laughs> this podcast has already gone off the rails. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm here to bring it back known. on the right. rails. Yeah, Mitchell, what did you see? <laughs> I'm going to denounce David Lynch's The Elephant Man, which I got to watch at work the other day because we're uh, in the thick of a retrospective. Mm. Um, so I'm dealing with a lot of bad customers, people I don't want to talk to, um, and then... I have to watch these movies, and then they end, and I have to be like, yeah, that was pretty neat, guys. Yeah. <laughs> that was a good one. <laughs> uh, it, as I kind of predicted, it was the David Lynch movie I hadn't seen in the longest. It's been like a solid decade. I was like, I think this movie won't make me as angry as some of his movies make me, but I can't imagine it's very good. And I was right. I'm really good at predicting these things. Um, <laughs> it was... Um, really just very tasteful until it isn't there's some stuff that's actually how does one predict one's own feelings (laughs) (laughs) got that mindset (laughs) 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 but yeah Uh, it's a it's an oscar movie through and through it's like people kind of make a big deal of it like oh that was his in that was his oscar movie and it's like well yeah it's very literally so he just kind of cows out to standards of the day and made a pretty straightforward biopic with like one or two bursts of surrealist dream sequences um and it's i don't know those sequences are pretty fun in the midst of this like really kind of dry bland movie um maybe that's the best use of david lynch like spice up an oscar movie here and there (laughs) that could be fun (laughs) but um i don't know also if somebody had told me that like tim burton directed it and i was a more ignorant fellow i'd be like yeah okay yeah i bet tim burton did direct it this seems about right (laughs) Which isn't necessarily a test, but it's uh, worth considering, worth mulling over how unique his uh, uh, aesthetic is. I don't know. Some burton characters. So, yeah, it's a pretty he mediocre movie. He did another movie. Astro movie. 
Mm-hmm. He did another Oscar movie. You can't call that his Oscar movie when he also did The Straight Story. Yeah, but Straight Story <laughs> didn't get a Best Picture nom. Oh, that's weird. This is the most Oscar movie of his Oscar, of his two <laughs> Oscar movies. <laughs> well, yeah. Although Mulholland Drive didn't get a Best Picture nom, but he got nominated for Best Director. Aw, that's sweet. Mm-hmm. It did? That's, that's, that's Lifetime sweet. Achievement Award, more or less. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, it must have been nominated for something because my mom and I rented it once, and thankfully she left before. <laughs> the lesbian sex scene. So I watched Ooh, that by myself. So you got to totally jerk into that. <laughs> In the family room. Uh, uh, well, my mom was home. <laughs> very okay. dark story. Yeah, I don't have much more to say about that. <laughs> Speaking of Oscar movies, I'm going to denounce a movie called 12 Years a Slave. <laughs> Oh, how could you? (laughs) Um, The theme for this list that Twixt comes from was um, 2010's movies that I feel like I should watch, but maybe I'm not excited to. (laughs) Um, And uh, I watched two before, Blue Jasmine, which I thought was fine. It had some nice moments to it. I thought Kate Blanchett was good. I felt somewhat similar to Cafe Society, where I was like, um, Woody Allen's being really mean. I don't know if he's earned the right to be as mean <laughs> as he's being, but um, in Cafe Society, there was like a little more self-reflexivity to his meanness, whereas here he was just being mean in general to like all rich people. And I was like, "You're rich, <laughs> <laughs> dummy." <laughs> But he's part of the intellectual class. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who critiques the rich people. Cultured and witty. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, but the movie that uh, I'll actually talk about, I don't have that many interesting things to say about it. I mean, it's kind of what the people who don't like it would say about it, which is that it feels very much like a movie dedicated to white guilt, to like... <laughs> Pleasing white audiences so that they can have, as I've described in the past, that, like, orgiastic moment of despair where they're like, ah, yes, now I have felt sad about this thing. (laughs) And it's like, yeah, I'm not super into that. Um, There's a moment where I thought maybe the movie would get good and it totally drops the ball where, um, uh... Solomon Northrup has just been moved to the second family away from the kindly Benedict <laughs> Benedict the kindly Cumber- Cumberbatch. <laughs> yeah, the kindly Cumberbatch <laughs> slave owner, which uh, is one uh, one of the many things that the film bungles is rather than having us identify with him and then showing him to be not a good person, they um, have Solomon be like as far as you know the day and times goes he's you know he's pretty good as far as slave masters go and then has a different slave yell at him it's like yeah but he's still a slave owner it's like it's not very confrontational to the audience right. <laughs> way to set this up <laughs> um, and then uh, so he goes to the worst one with Michael Fassbender and Sarah Paulson and there's a scene where they're dancing in their house Sarah Paulson like from off screen just like throws a bottle of liquor or perfume right at Lupita Nyong'o's head and like knocks her unconscious um, and it's like very abrupt and violent and I was like oh 
maybe this movie is going to explore some of the complexity of the relationship between white women and black women and like the idea that at this time white women were fancier property but still like <laughs> a form of property in themselves like you know Fassbender basically even says that to her when she's like you need to get rid of Patsy and he's like I'd rather get rid of you than get rid of her basically implying that you know either both of them are kind of disposable to him and I was like oh this would be kind of interesting like develop this idea of like how um, white women were maybe even more resentful of black women than uh, white men were because like they were this other type of property that they were taking advantage of and that you know they were like infringing on their territory in a way and like you know by putting them down they could like try to gain like some little bit of like I don't know something from that but then the movie just goes into like a very basic territory of oh she doesn't like her because uh, Fassbender is, is raping her so she's just jealous she's jealous about <laughs> this young pretty black girl and that's it doesn't explore like the complicated dynamics of you know groups who should be allies and aren't and um, how one is like super resentful and treats the other worse maybe than even uh, other groups do because of that like resentment and I was like eh. and then I was basically off board at that point once it <laughs> once it did that the acting is really bad almost yeah. top to bottom I like Lupita and I like I don't know how to pronounce his name but SGF4 at GO4. But almost everyone else is bad. Uh, from people who I expect to be bad, like Cumberbatch and um, Paul Giamatti and Omar from The Wire, to people who are kind of surprisingly oh, yeah. bad, like Paulson and Fassbender and Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt is very bad <laughs> in this movie. Um, and not just because he produced a movie where he gets to play the white savior, which is like pretty gross. <laughs> that was in his contract. <laughs> it's, it's like, in case you forgot that I produced this movie and therefore makes me a woke white person, I'm going to play the woke white person in the movie as well. <laughs> There's a lineage from that to modern day signal boosting as it would turn out. <laughs> so, yeah, I was, um, I mean, I wasn't, I obviously wasn't excited about seeing that movie, but I think I was even more disappointed than I was expecting. <laughs> Sounds about right. But what about that really long take where he's hanging? Ooh. It's so horrifying and brutal. Yeah, I mean the yeah. I don't really like that scene, like yo. Um I do like the one thing that I do like about it is when the guy interrupts them from killing him and you think that he's going to save him and he's like, No, he still deserves to be punished. I'm gonna leave him there just not to die. Right. <laughs> I thought that was kind of a, mm -hmm. at least like a little bit of like a twist yeah, in yeah. audience expectations. Because, you know, that's more along what I would have wanted the Cumberbatch story to go along. It's like, oh, sure. he saved him. We like this guy. And it's like, oh, no, he's just maybe a slightly less awful version mm -hmm. of this person. Or really, he's actually just looking out for uh, his value as a piece of property. 
<laughs> right. Which is something that's really well accomplished by Army Hammer in The Birth of a Nation. Nice. What? Oh, we, we've never heard about this before. I like to bring it all back to Army. Mm. <laughs> so, so Armand Dwight was right. <laughs> that is a good review. It is. Yeah. I, I mean, it, but, mm-hmm. yeah. that Kanye West music video is better. Yeah. Another <laughs> a very tenuous comparison, as Armin White loves to make, but. <laughs> I live for those better bands. <laughs> but also, I mean. Favorite band is better than Ezra. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what was I gonna say? Oh, yeah. I mean, one of the things that Armin White brings up, which is a fair point or whatever, that for I mean, Steve McQueen is British or whatever, and he's like, you know, what's he doing? Like making a movie about U.S. slavery? Like he should have, you know, made a movie about his own country's conflicted and weird history with you know, slave ships and shipping a bunch of slaves over to America for money. And I was like, yeah. that would and a be bunch more. of that, a bunch of the actors are British as well. Right. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a second. Yeah. Cumberbatch isn't, uh, mm-hmm. I already forgot how you said, Egeofor, isn't uh, he? Yep. Egeofor, yeah. Mm-hmm. I believe yeah. so. Yeah. Yep. It's a whole collection of Shakespearean hmm. trained actu- actors <laughs> playing dress up as racists. <laughs> <Yep>. Hmm. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. The Samuel Jackson was commenting on that this year. Um, oh yeah, which um, I think I, I think he's right, and I think he's interesting. But I also don't want to see a version of Get Out without Daniel Kaluuya in it. So, <laughs> sorry, I agree with you in theory, but he's so good in that movie that Daniel Kaluuya is the, the exception subs- that proves the rule. <laughs> the substance of your complaint is hard for me to get behind Samuel Jackson. Mm-hmm. Anyway, moving on to today's movie. It's called Twixt, and um, it's about a sort of bee writer uh, who writes about witches, like bad horror novels, named Bell Hamilton, played by Val Kilmer. And he shows up at this small town to do like a book signing um, when he meets this sheriff, uh, played uh. by Bruce Dern. Yes. Oh, um, his name is Hall Baltimore. Hall Baltimore. Yeah. I thought Sorry. that's what I said. You said Bell yeah. Bell Hamilton. Oh yeah, <laughs> Hall Baltimore. Yeah. Uh, he meets a. They have fun names in yeah, this movie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> names are pretty good. Yeah. He meets a sheriff played by Bruce Dern, um, who's read his books, and he's like, "Hey, there's a crazy murder that happened here recently. You should come check it out." Um. And they go to the morgue, and basically he pitches him on this idea of, um, you know, writing a story together about this murder, um, and based on some personal issues hanging over Val Kilmer's head and a wife who is kind of desperate for money, he decides to pursue the lead, uh, and the movie is sort of like him discussing both this case and possibly a previous series of murders that happened that he also like is experiencing in a dream and that this is a place where Edgar Allan Poe lived so like 
Poe is like a big influence on the movie and also appears in the dream. Um, that's pretty much it. Patrick, what did you think of this movie? Um, I liked this movie. Um, I found it to be funny, uh, which I wasn't expecting going into it. I was like, oh, it's a horror movie. And then I started watching it and I was like, oh, no, it's not a straight-faced horror movie at all. It's kind of a goofy, absurd horror movie that took itself a little too seriously sometimes, but I I don't know, like, it was it it did walk that line of, like, being both goofy in places and then, like, kind of legitimately horrifying in a, in a way that wasn't, like, it wasn't, like, overly gory or anything like that. It was more like, oh, it, it was kind of, I guess, like, you would call it, like, gothic in a way. I guess that's owing to Poe's influence here because... Um, his character lends that gothic flair to it, um, but yeah, no, it felt like a, I guess like a like a late season like Buffy episode kind of like <laughs> I like that, like the, especially with the special effects, like the it look it looks pretty cheap <laughs> as a movie, but I kind of liked that cheap aesthetic with this for some reason. I was I was like, oh, this is this this looks cheap and like they shot it on a green screen, but. I'm kind of going with it. Uh, I'm I'm here for it. So yeah. Yeah, I like this. Uh, yeah, I like this movie too. Uh, it's it's very silly, but in a way that I mostly appreciated. Uh, and yeah, I think that some of the cheapness that Patrick talks about, like it reminded me of Guy Madden. I was like, this is very chintzy looking, <laughs> but in a really charming way that I'm enjoying. And uh, and yeah, I mean. Um, I I also have some problems with it. Like I think that uh, it ran out of steam a little bit. Where for the first half I was really really into it, and the second half I thought was a bit more of a mixed bag. But uh, pretty fun. Still liked it. Yeah, I'm on the fence on this one <laughs> personally. Um, I think I liked it a little better than I liked it last time um just insofar as i found it funnier this time around and i thought the uh kind of goofier stylized performances worked a little better for me um especially bruce stern um it's such a weird mishmash of a movie though because (laughs) it's like oddly very personal and seems to be taking in aspects of francis ford's actual life like more so than anything else he's ever done like i'm not a big fan of him as a director because i think he's very kind of like impersonal and just like a very like stylish accomplished journeyman in a sense and so it's neat that he's bringing a lot of this stuff in especially so late in his career but it's also all couched in this like pseudo like stephen king twin peaks homage um he's definitely making fun of twin peaks i think he's making fun of it but also (laughs) he's kind of aping its sense of humor to a degree as well is he kind of has it both ways and I don't know how to reconcile all those parts it's kind of I don't know I think I view it as a, a, an interesting failure <laughs> I think he doesn't quite land it for me but um, there's a lot to like I like it a lot more I like you know I don't want to fucking watch a Godfather movie again I would watch <laughs> this again or <laughs> Tetra or Youth Without Youth before I watch this this is a much more interesting stage in his career and I hope he does keep making more movies but um, yeah I can't quite commit to this 
<laughs> yeah, I'm on the side with uh, Patrick and Basil. Um, I like this movie a fair amount. Um, I agree that it, I guess it wraps up a little bit too quickly. Like, I don't feel like the things intertwine quite as well as I would hope. Maybe, like, they did a screen of this movie and they realized that <laughs> it was for a very niche audience and wasn't going to be commercially successful at all and just kind of got rushed. But um, I agree. It's very, like, almost from the very, like, the very first words that Bruce Dern says, which I I can't, I don't remember, but I just started laughing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is going to be fun. I like this. Um, I really like Val Kilmer's performance. I mean, I usually like Val Kilmer, but um, I I was very sold on him in this movie. It's probably my second favorite performance of his after Heat. Um, and uh, I guess... Um, there's a way in which kind of what Patrick was talking about maybe not liking about the film is that there's a way in which like a movie can be this funny and yet and like this silly and yet I still feel like sad about the people who died in it and I was like that's kind of impressive to me like I like that it can be like oh here's a movie that you know kind of takes place in this goofy horror world of like these B writers or whatever, and but it's still there's a still humanity there, and the loss of that humanity is sad, where no matter what context it's placed in, and um, I felt that especially with El Fanning's character just being like, oh, here's a person who is here and is gone, and like I don't know. I was surprised that, you know, I was like, oh, this is just a funny movie that I think is, like, really funny and, like, kind of a Twin Peaks send-up, which I think is, like, a pretty, you know, I like some of Twin Peaks, but I think it's, like, a pretty silly, overrated show. Um, <laughs> and, and David Lynch's career in general, I guess. And, like, this feels like a little bit of a send-up of those types of aesthetics and, like, you know, kind of uh, self-conscious weirdness in a way like Poe seems so boring in this <laughs> to me personally mm-hmm. like it's such a obvious male writer fantasy um <laughs> that like it seems like a send up of like that very you know self-consciously weird self-consciously internalized like male writer um that I didn't expect the movie to make me feel anything about any of the people in it, and it did kind of, so that was successful. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's a small moment, but it's, it's very early on that made me sort of realize the kind of goofy dichotomy that was at play, where he like goes to like a fancy coffee shop, and he's like, hey, can you fill up my thermos with coffee? And I was <laughs> like, oh, it's like, you know, like old school, like, you know, in old cop movies, they're always like, pouring coffee out of a thermos and drinking it and it's got like this like blue collary vibe but like he goes to like a fancy coffee shop to get his thermos filled up and I was like that's a funny part (laughs) like because it's totally unnecessary like he only goes there because it's like for narrative reasons that's where he finds out that Edgar Allan Poe used to live in the town or whatever but like the the little bit of dialogue beforehand I was like oh that's good that's a good bit (laughs) 
speaking to uh, the way this comes together in the editing. I don't know if you're aware, if you recall, but the kind of gimmick shtick of this movie initially was that he and Dan Deacon were going to travel around the country to it, and they would re-edit it every night based on audience reactions from the previous night. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't really know what ended up happening with those screenings. How many of them there were, and how this final cut compares. But I, I feel like that kind of speaks to some of like the weirdness of the narrative pacing. Like it was meant to be a living document in a sense, and they would like rework and remake the score as they went along. And that sounds very guy menness. <laughs> yeah. yeah, very much so. <laughs> Also, the score is cool. really good. That was one of the things I really noticed. It is really good. It's really That's funny. That's definitely my favorite part. That's a really strange and congruous score. Yeah, I laughed really hard for him to... <laughs> at the like long montage of him setting up, and there's like the weird <laughs> overhead shot of him like setting beef jerky. I was like, oh yeah, yeah. beef jerky, very necessary for a writing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like the uh, no, specificity like this, like, of really... that. Though. Yeah. It's it's like a it's yeah, like an no, interesting. It's, very funny. it's like. Oh, yeah, this is just like his thing. He just loves eating beef jerky while he writes. <laughs> yep, drinking and eating beef jerky. <laughs> but, like, it's playing, like, this really intense xylophone. Like, it's like... And I found that very good. Speaking of um, specificity, uh, I really like that, like, one of the driving forces of this film is that his wife has discovered his rare copy of <laughs> Leafs of Grass, Leafs of Grass <laughs> which is the favorite. perfect book yeah. to, for that to be and he's like yeah. oh where are the gloves when you yeah, touch the, the book <laughs> like to that's... me this uh, to me that's like a perfect like capture of like where like so many like creative people's like hearts are actually at it's like obviously yes um, he cares about his dead daughter and some of this is like projection and whatnot going on but like just the fact that he's still like <laughs> his whole, yeah, his whole... in like in super dire straits really <laughs> going to a town that doesn't even have a bookstore to sign books and he's like no not leaves of grass <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's why he that's why he like sets about writing the novel anyways because his, no. his wife is like I need money I'm going to sell your book and she, he's like no I've got to get money quick I've got to write the story <laughs> yeah it's a to me it's a very fun like you know uh most uh, Hollywood narrative films have to introduce some sort of element of time where there's like a you know a deadline that a character has to get to or something you know it's like that's one of the big innovations I guess that D. W. Griffith introduced to filmmaking and I like that the element of time in this is <laughs> before his wife sells his copy of House of Leaves. Leaves of Grass. Leaves, leaves of, of grass. grass. Yeah. House of Leaves is a much less valuable book. <laughs> Yeah. Also, dollar uh, paperback. <laughs> he set the typefacing yeah, for that copy. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. Um, but I was gonna say, I thought it was funny that uh, Joanne Whaley plays his wife in this because uh, she also plays the love interest in Willow with Val Kilmer too. So it's like, yeah, and they used <laughs> to be married. Oh yeah, that's Aww. right. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, oh, it's very funny. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's a Some Willow callback. <laughs> And a real life callback. And a, yeah, yeah. Uh, callback to real life. That explains their good chemistry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and also, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess that's also obviously a lot of what uh, Mitchell was hinting at with like the personalness, because uh, that's 
like very clearly like a meta commentary on uh, Francis Ford Coppola's own career. Like he looks at that <coughs> old book and it's like ah, oh, vibrant new voice in fiction or oh, whatever, yeah. and then. He's just like, now he's just a hack churning out books because he's broke. Like, uh, I was like, oh. <laughs> oh, man. I didn't even pick up on that. secretly about Jack. Oh, yep. I didn't even pick up on that. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. When I saw that, I was like, oh, is it just because Francis Ford Coppola isn't as well-respected as filmmaker as he used to be? Or did he have a child who died? <laughs> he did. <laughs> he said, oh, he did. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, I didn't so know that. there you go. He has so many grounds. children who are directing films these days. That... <laughs> Too many. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that he had a son that drowned. Wow, it's even more specific, more overt than I realized. Yikes. Yeah, yeah. I suspect that's a, uh, from what I've heard, that's a subtext in Paris Can Wait, perhaps, as well. Yeah. Hmm. But, um, way younger, not... Yeah. Sure. The, yeah. Someone who died like thirty days after they were born. Sure. Yeah. Somewhere in between here. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know that going in uh, to the movie, but I don't. I don't really think that it affects how I feel mm-hmm. about it. It makes it kind of. I don't know. It makes it kind of interesting to me that this is the direction that Coppola went to use like an extreme slash bad comparison something like Eric Clapton's Tears from Heaven such a like treacly sappy song that's like playing off types of emotions that everyone is going to have when you hear that someone's child has died Um, to like make a movie that's this like uncomfortable in so many ways and funny yeah yeah yeah. about real emotions that Coppola probably had is mm-hmm. I mean I don't Decades it doesn't make me like too. or dislike the movie mm-hmm. any more than I already did but it is a very strong strange surprising decision yeah <laughs> like you know there's a whole like obvious wheelhouse that people are just waiting you know that they're, they're like hey just walk right in if you want to when you have that type of bio- biographical stuff Mm-hmm. to talk about and he was like nope yeah <laughs> it's like i'm gonna be a little bit more experimental about this and make a weird movie and travel around the country and re-edit it and have dan deacon <laughs> do the score which is like already a weird choice for doing the movie score like to imagine those two hanging out <laughs> yeah yeah for and, uh, around. <laughs> i mean i guess this is sort of perfect casting not in terms of i don't know anything about Kilmer if he has any children or if they died but i Jack. just mean in terms of in terms of someone who like was considered like probably one of the best actors of like the 80s and 90s and mm. is now sort of disappeared yeah yeah sad which is unfortunate yeah. Yeah. Val <laughs> he's a good actor Val Kilmer's like... son jack is very famous mm-hmm. he's a big instagram star palo alto <laughs> Wow. Yep, and he's in Palo Alto. Oh, I didn't like that movie. Yeah. But... The Coppola connection yeah. keeps coming wow. around and around. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I barely even noticed him in Song to Song, even though one review I said was like, Val Kilmer's reinvigorated his career with this amazing performance <laughs> in Song to Song. And I was like, 
Hmm. <laughs> <Just> chainsaw. <laughs> uh, basically plays the Antonio Banderas and Knight of Cups role, where he just shows up for like one scene and walks around uh, gustling around. <laughs> good like, moment. <laughs> Look at all my stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Look at all my shit. <laughs> What was that uh, that line you kept quoting from uh, Spring Breakers? <laughs> Look yes. at all my shit. It's a good line. <laughs> it's a good part of a really good movie. Yeah. Maybe I like even better than this one. I like this one a fair amount. <laughs> so I think one of the things that trips me up with this one is the stuff with the priest. I found that stuff very annoying, and I hated that performance. And I think that. Mm-hmm was a hurdle for me like actually tapping into the pathos so i think some of that is there and i think the very end when he like finally confronts l fanning and things are clearer i think that is a moving moment and uh there's other spots here and there where like the melancholy works for me but like the whole backstory with the priest was so silly and I'm yeah. sure it is like intentionally so to a degree like a lot no, of no, no. I mean, are I, stilted I, I, I here with you i think it's but um, you know it's I think just like it'll... a trite move, and yeah, I don't know. I couldn't couldn't reconcile that part, mm-hmm. especially with the way that it is shot. I feel like it's a yeah. bit of a play on Sin City, um, mm. and like the Elijah Wood character that we've already talked about oh. not liking, and <laughs> sure. like yeah, it's like if you start off from a place that's already like so absent any cinematic technique, and you like mm. parody it, there's only like so far you can go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and that was the Singing part I was I was thinking stuff. of I was thinking about when I was saying that the movie takes some some bits of it a little too seriously and I I felt like that bit wasn't really like if there was humor in it it wasn't really landing for me. I was just kind of like it seems a little too serious and like it kind of feels like maybe it's a different movie because I don't know that it's just that that priest character like feels like he he should have been combined with maybe like the sheriff or something like the sheriff should have been the one behind it or all all instead because mm-hmm. <clears throat> i don't know the fact that at he's... one point the voiceover of the priest becomes bruce stern's voice so there's obviously mm-hmm. some connection there in his dream yeah i actually thought that that was like a supposed to be a direct thing because the child murders are supposed to have happened a very long time ago <laughs> or whatever and that he's been sheriff for 40 years so i was like Oh, maybe it's implying that he used to, before that he used to be a priest, and he murdered a bunch of kids, and then he just became sheriff and covered up his own crime. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's some question about whether or Pretty not any news. of that stuff in the past actually happened. For sure, for sure happened. Um, you know, obviously with the ending of the movie, the in the mouth for madness or Wicker Man style ending, where he's like, "Great book" or whatever. Yeah. You know, yeah. there's a question as to like what part is. Um, Invented, included yeah. in the book and what part is like real life like is it just he gets there and he meets the guy and then everything after that is a fiction like him going to the coffee shop and finding out Edgar Allan Poe lived there or you know is the whole movie a fiction or it's just like the ending the book mm-hmm. <laughs> you know so yeah 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 there's yeah, I some guess. questions as to what did or or did not happen, but I mean, yes, to whether or not it's made explicit, it seems strongly implied, especially during the 
Ouija board scene with it. Ouija board keeps moving to the letter B to spell out Bobby Lagrange, and he's like <laughs> trying to force it off the board <laughs> that he murdered El Fanning's character. Right. With a with a weird vampire staking contraption that he's very yeah. proud of. Oh yeah, yeah. I did think that looked that looked like appropriately gruesome though. Like, and I was like, oh wow, that's that's actually pretty dark in a funny way because it's like it's a horrible looking contraption but it also has like a barbie doll in it so it's just like barbie doll sized so it's like my, you know it's, it's the second like, movie i watched last night with barbie dolls yeah, yeah. it's, it's like barbie's vampire killing device you know like it goes in the the malibu dream house or whatever like it's like <laughs> <laughs> this is the most fucked up children's toy of all time <laughs> You're safe in the Malibu dream house, but don't go out. There's vampires out there. <laughs> Stick those vampires that come to visit. It's like I Am Legend, yeah. but with Barbies. <laughs> um, and I, I did think that was kind of an interesting twist on vampires. Maybe not that interesting, but like, you know, vampires are normally about sexuality and like wealth and stuff like that. And this the vampire was used more how a ghost is normally used, which is like, oh, here's a person who has come back from the dead to drain your life force because their loss, their death has caused you so much grief that like mm -hmm. something has been sucked out from inside of you. And that's like, you know, what his daughter represents. Yeah. Which was which would be one of my complaints about the film is I was like, oh, okay, something happened with his daughter, I got it, or whatever. And then there's like a shot of like newspaper clippings. And it's like, it's like ever since our daughter died in that boating accident. And I was like, I, you didn't need to tell me, I got it. Yeah, yeah that, that was something that felt like it came from the screenings where it was like people weren't clear on what happened to his daughter. And even the part where they like yeah, was, explicitly show it was show already it. a big failure anyway, so <laughs> you might as well just make it specifically for Smarties like us. Yeah. <laughs> and when they yeah, because I feel like oh, I was gonna say all the hints of that sort of undercut the like weird and upsetting beauty when like it's showing her reflection in the water, and then like the speedboat like goes across her neck. I was like, oh, yeah. she's being decapitated by that speedboat. It's a very haunting image. Yeah. Yeah. But again, it's another thing where it's like they're explicitly spelling out like exactly what happened for the audience in case they didn't get it. It was like, <laughs> right? But I, yeah, I'm just saying like if there weren't like so many overt references beforehand, like that as like a revelation that that's how she died, starting with that image would be pretty potent. But because of the yeah. things that Ruben was talking about, that sort of undercuts it or whatever. And I think that. Uh, I just actually thought of this first right now, but a, one thing that does really work and is another very haunting image is like the cask of Amontillado or whatever part mm -hmm. where they're like walling her up and they wall it all up except for there's just like one just little bit eye, of her yeah. eye or whatever. Yeah. But I didn't really pick up until just now thinking about it that the idea also is like sort of with the Poe connection that it's like um, uh, that his writing is like a way like his cheesy horror writing is a way for him to just like wall up his feelings about his daughter or whatever like that he's like hiding his daughter away behind his like shitty writing <laughs> and i mean also sort of like a camera image because like 
you know, you, yeah. I mean, it's similar, but you're yeah, yeah. just looking through this little hole and you're seeing like this little bit of a person or this little bit of a, a life. Mm-hmm. You could see yourself as the uh, Elle Fanning's character could be the audience or she could be the subject. Right. Either way. <laughs> hmm. um, one thing that I did like about, I mean, I guess it, maybe it sort of involves the priest storyline or something that it would be hard to imagine being in there or being, it lands as well without the priest storyline. <coughs> the first time that um, he meets uh, V um, and they're talking and he's like, how old are you, like 13? She's like, I'm 12, but people think that I'm older because I'm tall. And then, uh, you know, later in the dream sequence, we find out that the priest was uh, molesting her. Mm-hmm. Um, and like this sort of weird, sad, double-edged sword of being like a mature kid right or something like that and like you know the fact that like she says it like when she meets Val Kilmer because he doesn't seem like a threat I guess maybe she says it sort of like proudly she's like yeah people think I'm older because I'm taller but then that also makes her more readily and easily sexualized by adults in a way that's like pretty sad and disappointing when it like comes full circle and it's like oh that's a pretty in just a couple lines, a pretty like sad and haunting point to land yeah. mm-hmm. in this film. And it seems like gets in a comment about that too later. <laughs> it's kind of like a lascivious line talking about like, hey, maybe she could be like a vagrant and she looks young, but she's actually older or something like yeah. that. Yeah, and I mean, I it seems that seems another thing that could be read personally or whatever. I'm sure that uh, his he has. A lot of experience though, with that with his daughters in Hollywood, sort of notoriously gross uh, tendency to sexualize super young girls or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Moment of silence for yeah. horrible creeps. Sorry, yeah. Yeah, I was looking something up. On no, that. no, I. I <laughs> I just, I didn't know where to take the conversation from there, so I was like, well. Yeah, you're just making me sad. (laughs) I will mention two jokes that I thought were really funny. The first is when when he uh, gets upset after the video chat with his wife and he starts throwing the ice at his computer. (laughs) That made me laugh really hard. And then a more subtle, it didn't really make me laugh out loud, but made me like kind of smile is when he walks past the big sign that says got bats oh yeah <laughs> i thought maybe there was like a batman <laughs> reference yes. he was batman <laughs> especially because i watched a movie earlier um where christian bale shadowy christian bale stands on top of skyscrapers and i was like is this a batman joke too <laughs> <laughs> hmm. this is a batman jokes all over the place <laughs> Yeah, I think there's a lot of funny um, uh, things in this. The I think the depiction of Flamingo and like the way they introduce him is very funny mm. or whatever. Like Tom Waits's narrator being like Flamingo, seducer of innocence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, yeah, that's definitely like sort of the most guideman-esque part about the movie. <laughs> Skeletons, sexy lady skeletons. 
and then like the dialogue <laughs> oftentimes like ends up repeating stuff that was said in the narration yeah right it, it also kind of um that guy sort of made me think of like matinee too and like the um weird poet actor sociopath right <laughs> in that film oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah another movie that i liked and mitchell was more indifferent to mm-hmm. <laughs> a real trend here <laughs> but i think i mean uh yeah i feel like the there's a lot of like sort of funny things with that when the when val kilmer goes to investigate or whatever and then you know he's like i'm we're looking uh, we're looking for a girl and he's like there's a lot of girls here <laughs> it's just like a bunch of women just suddenly appear and I don't, like, it feels very silly, you know, like a, a James Dean way, but that's like, you know, so over the top and campy. That's like, oh, he's like a cool vampire, but <laughs> his eye makeup's I also like just the like, part when they suddenly just turn normal. Like he's reading like Baudelaire or something mm-hmm. to him. He's like Baudelaire, you're educated, and then he's like, um, have you seen so and so? And he's like, oh, she came by. She was here for a while, but she left or something. And he's just completely normal. Yeah. For like a moment. And I was like, that's weird. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, he's like, yeah, we haven't seen her. We're, we're worried about her. Yeah, we're worried about her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wrote, weird goth people are normal, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The most normal in that town. Yeah. <laughs> <Really>. <laughs> Everybody else has dark secrets, but their darkness is out in the open. <laughs> Yeah, it's very superficial. There's <laughs> regular people darkness. underneath. <laughs> they just like just um, like spinning fire, man. I have <laughs> to write one. this down every time that it comes <coughs> up, and maybe y'all can take a vote or something whether or not you think this is Val Kilmer's character, uh, Hightower misinterpreting the or Baltimore misinterpreting the line, or um, if it's uh, <laughs> the writer director misinterpreting the line. But before he's about to go to bed. <laughs> and he's talking to Bruce Dern because he thinks that the dreams are going to inspire him to write. He mm. says, to sleep perchance to dream, which is, of course, a line from Hamlet, but it's a line about suicide. Do you think that uh, Baltimore uh, uh, it seems... misunderstood the line, or do you think that... <laughs> the it, filmmakers misunderstood I, the line. I think that I think it's intentional I think it's his character because I think it's also calling uh, like or it's later in the film like that's Bruce Stern's character does kill himself and so I think mm-hmm. maybe it's it seems like a screenwritery thing where it's like oh we have this foreshadowing of you know suicide in the future but not from this yeah, character the character he's talking to yeah so I mean, uh, also, I guess, like, you know, I mean, it seems fairly obvious that Val Kilmer's character really hates his life right now, and that, you know, (laughs) there's a a certain level of just, like, hmm, maybe if I didn't wake up, that would be the best. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There's another movie called Get Over It that I'm one of the, like, five people in the world who, who likes a lot, but in it, Kirsten Dunn's character writes a song that, you know, is Shakespeare lyrics, and it's about mi- it's the song that takes place in the musical version of Midsummer Night's Dream, and the song starts off with "To Sleep or Chance to Dream," and I'm like, that's about dying. <laughs> <laughs> it's not about dreaming about the person you're in love with. <laughs> yeah, 
And I feel very confident that the filmmakers are the ones who don't know what that line means in that movie. But this one, I was like maybe willing to give them a little more credit. Yeah, Coppola seems pretty erudite. <laughs> yeah. Well read. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, and also the fact I like the well, the, oh, the fact sorry, that it's a movie ahead. about a hack writer like is is even more telling to me. It's just like, yeah, this guy's probably like misinterpreting a lot of things yeah. because he's a hack. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he thinks that that guy's educated just because he can quote somebody else's yeah, poetry. Yeah. Like he doesn't interpret it or say anything about it. He's just like, blah. <laughs> and he's like, ah, a fellow intellectual. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, it's a it's a very obvious joke, but I still did like at least the beginning of the joke when he's trying to write and he has no idea how to start a book except <laughs> for with fog on a lake. Oh yeah. That's yeah. how every book starts. He's like it wasn't any fog, it was mist. Misty mist 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 mist. <laughs> that scene was pretty funny. I like that beginning. <laughs> I would keep reading a book that started that way. <laughs> Just said mist like fifteen times in a row. Yeah. I'd be into it. <laughs> there wasn't any fog on the lake. It was mist. Misty mist mist misty mist mist. Also also going back to the, the flamingo thing where he's quoting Baudelaire like to think that his intellectual equal is like a 20-year-old goth kid is really funny, too, where it's like, yep, that's the level you're operating at, dude. Hot Topic is the new, like, French cafe. <laughs> Hot Topic is your salon. I also, oh yeah, I was going to say, I think it's very funny, the part when he's talking with Poe, and Poe says, like, super earnestly, this, like, thing is like, Oh, one time I was talking with Charles Dickens, and he had the idea of starting at the end. (laughs) (laughs) I think they told the guy who plays Poe, I think the actor's name is Ben Chaplin, to play him very straight, and that's very funny to me, especially considering some of the dialogue that they gave him. That part, and also the part that I mentioned pre-podcast, when he's like, helping him and he's like you know what the most poetic thing is he's like a young woman dying <laughs> like, this is such a gross man thing to say You're like you know who would make uh this movie slash book better is if there was like a young woman that you could sexualize and then you didn't get to fuck her wouldn't that be sad <laughs> Sounds like a lot of Poe's were. Yeah. Sounds like <laughs> Poe sad in about general. Like, on Poe over that's here. Just, that's Poe's real life. That's <laughs> <laughs> Poe married his... Yeah, like, I mean, they make that explicit later. Yeah, Poe married his cousin. Like, Poe is a... Uh, his very young cousin. Yeah, his, his, it was a yeah. different time. Uh, <laughs> I, I, guess. I like how the biographers, like, there's a bunch of argument as to how what level that was or was not accepted for the time. No one is like <laughs> discussing, like, I don't know. It, but it's like, some are like, oh, that was normal for the time. And some yeah. are like, the cousin thing was normal, but the the, the age, age difference was not, not normal. normal. <laughs> yeah. Good catch. And then other ones were like, none of it was normal. There's <laughs> <laughs> uh, a point of contention among Poe biographers. Yep. Moral relativity. Exciting world. (laughs) How normal his uh, abnormal relationship in the 1840s was. (laughs) They just can't kill their darlings. 
is this whole movie a joke at the expense of Bram Stoker's Dracula and or a joke at the critics of Bram Stoker's Dracula? I think it's one of the two. <laughs> they both have a very similar tone, so I was like... And the facts, and Tom Waits. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I thought that, yeah, uh, that connection. it was... I mean, I think it's... Uh, to me, it definitely read as, like, doubling down, like, these are the kind of things I like in a movie, and go fuck yourself if you don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, because I didn't think, you know, a lot of this stuff is very silly, and... Coppola seems very aware of how silly it is, but like in a genuine way. Like he doesn't seem like he's like completely like making you know, like ah you're an idiot yeah. if you think stuff like this is actually cool. Like it seemed yeah. to me that yeah. he is like this is, these are fun things. These are things I like. I'm making a movie about stuff I like. Here it is. <laughs> yeah, and I guess he's made a career out of like channeling pulpy shit and making it prestige. Mm-hmm. So. This is him working in reverse. Yep. Godfather books are not very good. <laughs> ah, take that, Mario Puzo. Yeah. <laughs> if you're still... <laughs> I have I have no qualms there. Mario Puzo sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I've never read the books, but they're worse than the movies. Oh yeah. Also, There's a really mm-hmm. fun extended passage about a woman getting vaginal reconstructive surgery. <laughs> <laughs> it's very sleazy. Yeah. She like hooks up with the James Can character because he has a famously large penis and she has a famously large vagina. And so they work really well together, but after he gets killed off, her life gets really sad, and there's a whole subplot about her going to Vegas to get vaginal reconstructive (laughs) surgery, and it takes up a very big portion of the book. (laughs) Time well spent. (laughs) Yeah, well, it stuck with me. (laughs) Also, weirdly, aren't the Godfather books, like, classified in nonfiction, too? Because um, I think oh, I've seen, I, don't. I think I've seen that actually. Like the <laughs> the books themselves are placed in like nonfiction sections. Um, Seems like a mistake. Is, yeah, yeah. It's so weird to yeah. me because I, I remember at one point I was like looking. I was like, "Is the Godfather here?" And I was like looking through. I can't remember what it was. Like it was probably like Audible or something like that. And I was like, "Oh, is it in here?" And then I couldn't find it. And then like I scrolled down to nonfiction. It was in nonfiction. And I was like, "Huh, that's interesting." Like. What's the uh, criteria for that? Like, does it just have to be based on, like, real events, or... <laughs> I don't know. It's a weird... Mobsters were real. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> People have died as a result of the mob. Yeah. Therefore, this is a non-fiction. Yeah. Based on a true story? <laughs> Someone at Amazon was just having some fun. I guess, I guess. Based on the existence of the mob. There's nothing more real than Mario Puzo. <laughs> oh, man. Prose is about as real as it gets. And real, real. I mean, I, 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 we were talking about The Godfather. I guess the... I mean, I think the first movie is well made, but I just find the whole, like, oh, isn't it sad, the American dream to be like a very boring theme <laughs> like one of the most boring things that exists <laughs> yeah I agree <laughs> it's a terrible theme <laughs> you thought capitalism would save you but it didn't bummer <laughs> but it used to <laughs> something that only white men ever think <laughs> 
Yep. Oh, Very fruitful stuff. <laughs> Isn't it sad? That the dream that only existed for this very small part of the population to begin with exists for an even slightly smaller part of the population <laughs> than what was originally advertised I'm as. I'm no longer relevant. I <laughs> 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 thought it was unsettling that uh, the place where Bruce Dern works, besides the being sheriff, was called the Woodpecker. <laughs> where he sells his bat houses <laughs> what where he sells his bat houses yeah bat houses, yeah <laughs> yeah i mean especially because it's separated into two things it seems very uh like a kind of crass joke about the phallic nature of wooden stakes the woodpecker <laughs> Wait, i didn't even get that that's funny <laughs> yep <laughs> it's uncomfortable that that Barbie's naked in the vampire execution. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that was necessary, Bruce Turn. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> There's also another part of him that seems very pathetic, which made me laugh really hard, which is when he's trying to, when Val Kilmer's trying to sneak into the morgue, and then the deputy, like, gets a phone call, like, Bruce turns like, I. <laughs> he told me to run a bunch of errands for him, and now he's not here. <laughs> Tell him I'm waiting thirty more minutes, and then I'm leaving. Yeah. <laughs> pick up a bunch of drugs for him. <laughs> yeah. But just the idea of like not like, fuck that guy. I'm leaving. If he wants his stuff, he can come get him for me. But like, tell him I'm waiting yeah. thirty more minutes, and then I'm leaving. Well. Time moves more slowly in a small town. <laughs> Was there any fog in the town? <laughs> huh. I think only in the dream yeah, sequence. Yeah, I think only just in dreams. the dream. <laughs> only in my dream. It wasn't even fog. It was just misty, mist, 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 mist. Only mist. in dreams. <laughs> just misty, Bringing mist, it back mist. to David Lynch. Oh no! <laughs> that wasn't the song I was referencing. <laughs> Can't escape. It's a good song, though. It is. What if I don't like that movie, he picks out a lot of good songs. I'll give him that. It's on the soundtrack every now and then. It's uh, yeah, all that uh, Rammstein on Lost Highway. That's <laughs> very well. <laughs> I always find myself listening to uh, Romstein by Romstein. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, Romstein. Following in that story tradition of having a band and then having an album named after your band and then a song on the album named after <laughs> your band. Bad Company by Bad Company. <laughs> Black Sabbath by Black Sabbath. <laughs> Got three great examples here. <laughs> Very strong. Yeah. Oh boy! Um, I also like that everyone thinks that he's reinvented himself by writing about vampires yeah. instead of <laughs> yeah. witches. Yeah, I thought that was it's like the witch master is writing about vampires. It's crazy. <laughs> I love that. I love that that ending text where it says it sold thirty thousand copies, which is decent. <laughs> it was a success. It was, it was decent. It's okay, business. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's still a middling hack writer. <laughs> yeah, that seems especially sad since the implication is that, like, 
the writing of this book was like him selling out his grief to like make money or whatever yeah. he's like i'm gonna process my grief on the page yeah and then sell it to people and the guy's like that's great <laughs> but it's not even a runaway success oh man <laughs> Just like this movie. <laughs> oh. Oh, no. Oh. Makes me think that this movie is the opposite of Listen Up, Philip. <laughs> hmm. The inverse of that movie. Hmm. <laughs> You're going to have to do some explaining to justify that you, thesis. You got some. Mm. You have some explaining to do. <laughs> Um, Schwartzman is a young, successful author. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> his writer's block has come from because he's young and he's already poured all of his life into his books and he has nothing else to write about, mm-hmm. <laughs> as opposed to someone who's hiding a part of their life. Oh, uh, um, sure. Yeah. <laughs> That's that a movie, fun analogy. <laughs> that movie is very straight in the way that it's shot, but also a very campy, like, and the like I don't know the reality of it I guess mm-hmm. <laughs> like weird uh, marketing interns just like staring at Jason Schwartzman like they really want to have sex with him <laughs> it's like funny but not in a really obvious way I don't know mm-hmm. <laughs> also yeah. I'll take it right. <laughs> also uh, Coppola connection there Where it's been part Where's of Coppola? the. Oh, Did yes. You? Cousin yeah. Coppola. Yeah. <laughs> Schwartzman is, uh, was he his nephew or something, I think? Mm-hmm. Yes. He's, he's yeah. related to Coppola. Yep. The extended Coppola cool. family. Yeah. Extended Coppola family. Well, pretty many of them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a fan of those Coppolas. Yeah. yeah. Nick Cage is. I don't well. know about Roman. <laughs> 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 Roman co-write Moonrise Kingdom. That's a pretty yeah. good movie. Alright, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess. I'll give him that. <laughs> His directorial efforts leave a lot to be desired. <laughs> I've only seen that one and I saw it when it very first came out. Oh yeah, the uh, CQ or whatever. Did then, he yeah. Oh, did he direct he was a music video director, right? For a long time. Inside the mind of Charlie Swan the Third. I'm trying to remember. There's a music. It's a cumbersome title. Pretty good title. His television Pretty. series Mozart in the Jungle won the Golden Globe Award for best television series uh, comedy. Yeah. Also sure co-created did. by Schwartzman. Whoa. There you go. It's like yeah, we should all be watching nepotism. Mozart in the Jungle. <laughs> Schwartzman's in it. Yeah. Our favorite Hollywood family is very deeply involved in the show that we're not watching. Yeah. What are we doing? Uh, what's going on? It's got Gail Garcia Hollywood family. I don't know any of you, any other ones. There's the Sheen family. I'm not so crazy about them. Yeah. yeah. The Barrymores the Barry are Morris, okay. Yeah. The, uh, the Estevezes. Yeah, I like those Barrymore. Yeah. I like Drew, but I've never watched any like Lionel Barrymore or anything like that. Yeah. John Barrymore. Same with the uh, the Houston's. The Houston's are good, yeah. but I don't know. Jack. They got they got that Sophia. They got that Nicholas Cage. They got yeah. that Schwartzman. 
Ooh. Heavy hitters right up front. Yeah. <laughs> they should do a movie, the three of them together. Like a family oh, man. reunion. I'd be really excited about that. They should just do like Grown Ups 2, but with their family. <laughs> that could be really enjoyable. <laughs> Going down water slides. Couple of us. vacation. They've got someone to do like every part. Uh, Sophia can direct, Eleanor can do the um, <coughs> design. Um, yeah. Robin, Roman can write it, Francis Ford can produce it. Nick and great. Jason connect in it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh yes. I would love to see a movie with Nick Cage and Jason Schwartzman. How do we get the Coppola's oh, on the horn? Oh, man. <laughs> Gotta pitch them. Somebody em. pitch this. <laughs> and Gia can sit and watch it. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen Paula Alto. I don't know whether or not I would like it. <laughs> I'll say she can sit and watch think. it. <laughs> She's a... Uh, I mean, I think she did some AD work on this and something else. Oh, so. there you go. You need a good AD. You gotta have a good <laughs> AD. Uh, keeping up with the Coppolas. Ooh. <laughs> Get Ryan Seacrest in here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Does anyone have anything else they'd like to say about this movie? It works. I like, I like the, original the conception title. of time. <laughs> oh yes, the original title is good, and they should have kept it. I don't know why they switched this boring title. Nobody was going to go see it anyway. What did it change? <laughs> What's the original title? Like Twixt Before Sunset or something? What is it? It's Twixt Here yeah, and Twixt. Sunrise, I believe. Yeah, tricks here in Sunrise. Yeah. An obvious reference. Yeah, that's too. a much better joke. Yeah. That's a uh, Poe reference, right? Is it? Uh, it Probably. seems like a Poe reference. It's gotta it's gotta be a Poe reference, doesn't it? <laughs> that's I thought maybe it was Bronze a reference Stoker's to the movie Dracula Sunrise. Reference. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> doesn't it? <laughs> a tale of two humans? <laughs> mm-hmm. Um yeah. Time, time is fun in this. There's that <laughs> clock that doesn't tell the right time, and people oh, are yeah. complaining about daylight savings time. That's I forgot about. <laughs> I forget about the clock by the end of it, which is is weird. But yeah, is no, a, like yeah, and that's like Poe imagery too. I think that's mm-hmm. Jack and the bat and the belfry. Yeah. yeah, and clock keeps ticking longer than it should. Um, yeah, I don't know what to do with any of that. I guess time's a flat circle, as some people say. Grief is always being experienced. You can't escape. <laughs> and atrocities are always being committed in this sad town. Yeah, I did like <laughs> the, the delivery of that one guy. of the priest. Hmm. Which one? The daylight savings guy? Yeah, well, he's like... I don't really. I haven't really thought about daylight savings time. He's like, what have you been thinking about? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Started by Hitler and perpetuated by doctors so they could play golf. <laughs> Thematically appropriate. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, I did also. I mean, this is a very small thing, but I laughed pretty hard at the part the first time he has a dream or whatever. Like, he's talking to Poe, and it's, like, the serious conversation. But then right in the middle of it, 
he gets woken up by his wife Skyping him, so there's like the Skype sound playing while he's sitting across from <laughs> Poe. I thought that was pretty oh, good. Oh, yes. <laughs> I think she even starts talking. Mm-hmm. She wakes him up. Yeah. Which isn't how Skype works, but it's okay. <laughs> hey. <laughs> yeah. This is maybe third on my list of good uses of Skype over the past few years in movies. Yeah. It's a little lower. It's no personal shopper. No no home movie. But I'll take it. What about how do you, how do you feel Nerve. about To the Wonder? Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember the Skype scenes in To the Wonder. I wasn't on this Skype wave. I just was like really surprised. I was like, oh, Terrence Malk knows what technology is. <laughs> it seems like he's such a Luddite. in that regard. Yeah, yeah. No, he's well, he's, than he's, we think. He's gone on a very, since <sighs> To the Wonder, he's gone on a very technological curve. Now he's got all sorts of technology going on in this movie. Yep. Mm-hmm. I love it. Keep it up, Terry. <laughs> he, he likes shooting. Also, like the yeah. Skype and unfriended. Yeah, he, he likes shooting oh, digital yes. now, though. Like the that's... best Skype of all, the ultimate Skype. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> uh, the ultimate movie. People cry oh, on the computers. Now it shoots on digital now? Yeah. That yep. makes sense. That's why. That's how I guess he shoots so much. Yeah. It'd be insanely that's how he gets these movies done so fast now. <laughs> He's just like, all right, we're shooting digital now, guys. We're not fucking around with shooting Where's it. Where's that tactile sensation? Yeah, yeah. We're, not, we're not shooting at, uh, <laughs> film only at magic hour like we did with uh, Days Ooh. of Heaven. I'm not driving myself insane for a movie again. <laughs> but that's inherently noble. <laughs> you can't be a real auteur if you don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> no one still no one says it's cheaper to shoot on film which I don't know how that works well, but whatever maybe for him he does one take of everything <laughs> yeah no coverage that works <laughs> <laughs> it's true that's why there's so many holes in his movies that's why things just like leap forward and all of a sudden it's nighttime out of nowhere <laughs> he forgot to have transitional shots and that's why it's cheaper and no one cares <laughs> so it's fine uh, we care we're going yeah. to stop you Christopher Nolan <laughs> by going to see Dunkirk in 70mm very soon <laughs> but I won't pay for it I hope <laughs> uh, it said no special passes so I don't think you can I have the ultimate pass, though, of working in another theater in town, so they should <laughs> let me in. <laughs> no, I think that when they when you can't use special passes, you can't sign in either. I'm pretty sure that's the rule. I'm going to have to work some of my connections. <laughs> yeah. Push on somebody a little. Like, Lean on somebody. Get yeah. me in that time. <laughs> I did that win. tickets. <laughs> <laughs> came out someone called in and they're like yeah sure and then I, it was like the weekend that it came out and then i showed up and they're like yeah we don't do that for new movies and i was like i spoke to someone and i had to like yeah. step my feet <laughs> i spoke to your manager <laughs> i'd probably just be like okay <laughs> and i worked All at like right. the ifc oh. center so like <laughs> it wasn't like we were giving them like an even trade. It's like your people can come see ears of earrings of Madame Duh. 
You know that's that's <laughs> painting of the earrings of Madame Doe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> so it's on the second floor. <laughs> so all the teens, all the teens are coming to see this. Uh... <laughs> oh my god, I forgot his name now. Max uh, Ophuls. Ophuls. All that Roy Ophuls. Anderson. He wanted to call him Awful. Yeah, Roy Ophuls. Yeah, don't mm-hmm. you dare. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to bully Max. <laughs> Leave him alone. <laughs> Leave Max alone. All right. I think wrap this up time. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. If so, go to our website. Um, and uh, look at other content there. Do it. Do it. (laughs) Also, of course, subscribe to the podcast using your podcast listening application. Give us a five-star rating review on iTunes. And visit our uh, message board and participate in the conversation about mid-season discussion. What movies have you liked so far or disliked? Who who are your leaders in the clubhouse for technical and acting achievements? Tell us us what idiots we are for liking the movies and disliking the movies that we like and dislike. Don't you dare. Do it. (laughs) (laughs) Leave me out of this. (laughs) (laughs) I'm smart. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I believe the next movie is a movie called The Hunter, right? Uh, yeah, that'll be the last one before we get into our theme month. Your musician. Yeah. Do you remember what year it is? Because there's like a thousand movies called The Hunter. Yeah. Yep, it's from 2010. It's a yeah. Iranian. Iranian movie from 2010. That The Hunter, not mm-hmm. any of the other All right. ones. Alright, and probably yeah. that'll be the next movie that you hear. What? Podcast. That'll probably be the next movie you hear in the podcast. Maybe. I hope. Maybe. Who knows? <laughs> we may go to the third toes. or fourth one down the list, like we did with this one. <laughs> <laughs> Again, there was no final list because Ilya just didn't vote. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Ilya oh, just gosh, said, "I don't want to do any of these." <laughs> you can't do that. God damn it! There are rules. Uh, this is not nom Uh, it worked out though (laughs) yeah I think uh, I mean I still have two more of them to watch but I think we ended up watching the best one for the podcast (laughs) (laughs) right on alright bye everyone bye Uh, goodbye think we nailed it Thank you.